This is ContactTalkRadio.com. Consciousness in action. And you are taking action into your consciousness by tuning into Contact Talk Radio. And on TuneIn.com, Ying.fm, and Upsnap Mobile. Contact Talk Radio. Welcome to Living Fearlessly with your host, Lisa McDonald. My mama told me when I was young, we're all my superstars. She pulled my hair, put my lipstick on, in a glass of purple dry. Good morning, everybody. Thank you so very much for joining me, rejoining me here again on this lovely Friday morning. My name is Lisa McDonald, host of Living Fearlessly with the Contact Talk Radio Network. I want to thank all you almost now half a million uh, Living Fearlessly podcast subscribers. Can't thank you enough. Really makes uh, me happy to know that my guest and myself and the content is resonating with all of you. I love all the testimonials and the feedback and all the phenomenal guests that I've showcased to date for almost three years now. I want to thank my sponsor, Halton Honda, for believing in myself and the program. I want to thank my uh, partners and family over at C-Suite Radio Network, which, of course, following the live show with myself and each weekly guest, you can find the podcast link of each weekly interview. So who do I have today? Well, I am interviewing a phenomenal woman, a spitfire by the name of Tina Scallon. Who's Tina Scallon? Well, Tina is a passionate healthcare professional business owner, consultant, and published author with over 25 years of experience in the healthcare industry. Tina has dedicated her life's work to serving others in hospitals, running her own in-home caregiving agency, and providing consulting and guidance for family caregivers. Tina firmly believes that both home and lifestyle can be preserved by compassionate caregiving in the face of aging or illness. So, Tina, I want to welcome you to Living Fearlessly with Lisa McDonald. How are you, our friend? I am wonderful, and I am so excited to be here with you. Well, it's such an honor and a privilege to have you, and I love what we're talking about today because this is a subject matter that, if it hasn't already, it's bound to impact people in the future, either with aged parents, people's own individual health, people's children, uh, people themselves. And uh, as a former caregiver, this very much speaks to me. It's very near and dear to my heart, so I'm really glad that we're talking about something that impacts everybody. Um, so why don't we talk about initially the inception of your journey? Where did this all begin for you, Tina, and how did you know that this is what you were destined to do? Wow, it is so crazy because I've been a caregiver, it feels like, since birth. Um, I had a lot of family members that were very ill all the time, so I spent lots of time in doctor's offices, hospitals, and other medical facilities. And when I became 14, I actually became a a candy striper and did that till the time I graduated high school and decided this is what I want to do for the rest of my life. And I'm very passionate about caregiving. Lovely. Well, let's talk about a few, you know, controversial issues that always come up when we talk about well-being, when we talk about wellness, when we talk about health in general. You know, what is your stance on vaccinations? Well, you know, when I was younger, it was a lot easier because you knew exactly what you were getting. Mm-hmm. This day and age, you don't know what you're getting. So it's really hard to 
decide, is this right? The best thing for me to say is research. You have to know what you're giving your loved ones because if you don't know, there's so many things. I mean, when we were younger, there was no such thing as autism. Now there is, you know, and so many different things are starting to pop up and it has to go back to the vaccinations. I mean, our food is not what it used to be. Our medication's not what it used to be. So that's, that's where I'm at. Okay. And as somebody who has longstanding history working in, the, you know, the hospital industry, um, you know, and given what you've just said, that's a good segue. And of course, everybody who listens to my show knows this is unscripted. You know, we never went back and forth with a standard Q&A script. Uh, so I just go with the flow of what my guests say and uh, I just go with the thoughts that pop up at the time. So in terms of, you know, the different, uh, the different spectrums of medication. When we talk about, you know, herbal herbs, when we talk about holistic care, when we talk about that versus, uh, standard practice, when we, you know, when we compare that to alternative medicine and different modalities, what's your stance on that as somebody who's primarily worked in the hospital system? Well, unfortunately, you know, now when you take any type of medication, the symptoms, I mean, the side effects are worse than the actual cure. Mm-hmm. So I am definitely going towards the holistic movements. And, you know, I mean, too much medication is not good, but you have to treat yourself. So, you know, it is good. Right now I'm doing a lot of things with anti-inflammatory foods. Mm-hmm. And, to eat properly and eat more vegetables and, and different things like that can make the world a difference. Mm-hmm. And so what do you, in your experience, uh, you know, because there is nobody who's more of an expert in their industry than the person who's traveled it themselves based on their education, based on their, uh, you know, individual experiences one-on-one with caregiving uh, and then just working with the mindset of, of what's taught or what's understood within, if we use this example, the hospital medical field. So, you know, what, what do you attribute some of these things that are, are on the rise? I mean, everybody knows somebody who has cancer, uh, you know, like what are your thoughts about chemotherapy? What are your thoughts about uh, that type of intervention? Well, I'm very well versed with this because unfortunately my father just passed away with cancer. Yes, our condolences to you. And chemotherapy was his biggest fear. He didn't mind the radiation because the radiation stopped a lot of the pain that he was having, but the chemotherapy created more problems than cure for him. Mm -hmm. So he refused to do anymore. He only did one. So it's everybody's preference. I mean, sometimes chemotherapy may make you feel much better and it will help you. But, you know, you were talking about holistic. There are so many things out there that can make you feel so much better than chemotherapy or radiation but it's everybody's preference so i can't say no or yes Mm -hmm. because it just depends who you are i mean one person it may do wonders and the next person it may be horrible exactly 
And so as a healthcare practitioner, as somebody who's immersed themselves in this world, has brought it into their own home, has written a book about it, which we'll get to about the book and the website uh, for the listening audience here. But Tina, you know, what do you do to proactively take care of yourself? You know, like who takes care of the caregiver? <laughs> well, I just had a birthday on December 28th and I turned 50. Happy birthday. And when I went to the mail and I received my ARP card, it it brought everything into perspective. And as a person that is a caregiver and in the caregiving field, I do have to get take care of myself first and eating properly is number one um i've kind of stopped eating so much meat i've gotten more vegetable and fruit oriented and lots of sleep i mean sleep is number one because if you aren't on your game how can you take care of someone that is ill Absolutely. And so, you know, that's a segue for some of what we're we're seeing, at least here in Canada, and I'm sure it's throughout, you know, particularly when we're in flu season. Uh, you know, I don't I don't personally take time out of my day to regularly tune into the news because it's all negative. Uh, you know, the world's coming to an end, Donald Trump, blah, 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 the list goes on. But we know <laughs> here, at least in Canada, uh, you know, we're told day in and day out here recently how the emergency, uh, the emergency rooms at the hospital, it's just they're, they can't keep up. They've canceled yeah. like 80 surgeries just to reserve the beds and make the beds available for people who are coming in due to flu. Um, you know, what, what do you think about the toll that's obviously been being taken on the practitioners, you know, the nurses, the ward clerks, everybody who plays a pivotal role in making everything run bickety-boo within the medical care system? It's almost, you know, when I talk to people who have that experience or are in it right now, you know, they can't help but feel a little bit cynical or, uh, you know, if they go from a devil's advocate approach, which I do with everything that I think about or contemplate or talk about, um, you know, here they are providing a pivotal service that's supposed to be uh, getting people back on their feet, getting them back to feeling well again. And yet the people who are implementing this, who are responsible for their treatment or overseeing their, their care, they're burnt out themselves. I mean, they're working double shifts, triple shifts. You know, there's always some issue going on, uh, arbitration within the unions because they're not being properly compensated or they're not being in a position to take proper days off or get rest. So, you know, how do we fix this? Like, what's your take on that? Boy, it's amazing that you even said that because you're right. I mean, our healthcare professionals are burnt out. Mm-hmm. Um so many people are worried about that profitability and they're not, you know, putting enough uh, staff and rotating staff to take care of our own nurses and doctors. I mean, when you go into a doctor's office and the doctor's sick himself, mm-hmm. you should have backup for that. But right now, Everybody's worried about board members and the bottom line. And right now we have to worry about our infrastructure and our employees Mm -hmm. because happy employees are productive employees. I mean, if we had proper staff 
the beds would always be filled and the nurses and doctors would be taken care of and the profits would be fine. But right now we're pulling from both ends and the doctors are overwhelmed. The nurses are burnt out and, and the beds are, are not being filled. Um, especially with these regulations that are coming into play. I mean, Donald Trump just rolled back regulations on nursing homes and I think that that was not good because right now the nursing homes are understaffed. And if we cannot care for our loved ones at home, we really have to rely on the facilities to keep them safe in a good environment. And it's not happening. So we really need to change things. Mm-hmm. And what would be your suggestions if you were at the helm and you were a policymaker and you could rewrite things and you could legislate things? What what would be your recommendations based on somebody who's been immersed in it, who can understand firsthand, not just from a caregiver practitioner, but the people who are talking to you who are vulnerable, who are fragile, who are in the sick beds? Based on that experience, that plethora of experience, what would be your recommendations? What would be the first thing that you would change? I would have more staff in the facilities because right now nurses are having to take care of anywhere from 10 to 20 patients for one nurse, and that is ridiculous. Mm-hmm. It would be better to have three nurses taking care of 20 patients. The care would be better. They would get them out of the hospital quicker and everyone would be happy. Okay. Absolutely is staff. Okay. So you'd be focused on the ratio. Yes. Right? Client to practitioner. Okay. Gotcha. And so what do you foresee in the future with medicine, with, with policy, with procedure, you know, with being able to appease to some extent the board members and the stakeholders as well as the profitability side of it, in addition to still remaining or maintaining the integrity of healthcare as a whole? Well, unfortunately, the population is growing by leaps and bounds. I mean, by 2030, uh, close to 55% of Americans will be over 60. So mm-hmm. we need to build more hospitals, more assisted living facilities we need to make sure that we have tons of nurses and doctors out there and that is not being done um because once like i said before happy employees are productive employees and if the employees are happy the patients are going to be happy and everybody wins mm-hmm. and is it your understanding you may or may not know this tina but in terms of, you know, people coming out of high school who are making decisions about post-secondary education, uh, you know, it used to be once upon a time people entering into programs at the college or university level for caregiving, they used to be oversubscribed. Is this still the case? Are people still wanting to sign up for this? Is their future vocation at least entry level? Yes and no. Um, it is hard for a lot of people can't make ends meet so it's hard for them to sit there and say I'm going to go back to school they have to sit there and provide for themselves so it is hard to go back to school and we do have a shortage of nurses but it is a great 
demand right now. We need CNAs, we need LPNs, we need uh, RNs, we need specialized uh, nurses, we need uh, physicians assistants. So the colleges are definitely getting more, but the population's growing. So it's kind of hard to figure out. We need more organization. Mm-hmm. And so to your understanding, to the degree that you're still involved in this, at least from like understanding things at a, an administrative level or at a policy level, you know, what kinds of committees or what type, what types of, um, things are being implemented to support having to be proactive with the influx that's coming of not only an aged population, but again, we see the increase to people being diagnosed with not only cancer, but multiple forms of, of disease. Um, you know, where, where do you, what do you see or to your understanding of what's currently happening? How are people in the right positions being proactive to keep up with this and to prepare for this? What's the level of preparedness? Well, you know, it's funny you said that because that is one of the reasons why I started my website. I was a caregiver. I ran a home health agency for 25 years, but I sat at a desk. Then I went into the field and I became a caregiver myself because we're not teaching our youth proper things how to cook, how to clean, how to take care of everyday things. Mm -hmm. And I think common sense is kind of going out the window. And that's another reason why I wrote my book too, is because I want to teach the children of the elderly how to take care of their parents. Mm -hmm. Because going into a facility, yes, it's great, but they're overworked and overwhelmed. So it's best to keep it at home. Mm Mm-hmm. And that's what I'm seeing. I mean, that's kind of, you know, I've been on both sides of the field. And that's kind of why I wanted to start this website, because I want to try something new. I want to go into a new niche to where I can take care of and help the American public. I could help Congress. I could help everybody make decisions. I mean, we need to get boards and, and groups together to... Matter of fact, Congress just passed the Caregiver Act raise to where they will be giving federal money and, and implementing federal um, regulations to help caregivers. So that is definitely a really, really good first start. And what is the pay scale? Right now, if you had to have a caregiver come into the home to take care of you, the agencies are charging anywhere from 20 to $25 an hour. And I'm going to tell you, it is really hard for people to afford that. Mm-hmm. So they have to know the skills themselves because, I mean, it's hard to even hire someone to come into the home. There's so much rules and regulations. I mean, when... I was in Louisiana, I was able to do everything, bathe, dress, diaper, meal preparation, everything. And when I got into some other states, you weren't able to diaper, you weren't able to do certain things, you weren't able to touch you. You had to actually have a companion service, a home health agency 
there's too many rules and regulations in that. We have to kind of make it simpler, go back to simpler times. Mm-hmm. Well, and and I'd be curious to know, because, again, I've been out of the field for quite some time now, but I remember these types of issues always being ones that we grappled with. And, and of course, back then, having worked primarily in the nonprofit sector, we were always expected to do more with less, which meant that we were putting people in a position of stretching, stretching their uh, you know, putting them in, in into the category of of overworked, underpaid, uh, fatigue. You know, there was more med errors. Um, there was there was just a whole people calling in sick because they just couldn't deal with the stress related to uh, things at the staff level. It became very political, and the whole focus of providing client care unfortunately became, in many cases, the secondary issue, even though that was what we were there to do. And of course, at the management level, it, it oftentimes it was a nightmare, you know, because I was always a hands-on manager. So I always wanted to interface with the clients, not just sitting at roundtable discussions, not just talking about legislation, but I actually wanted to interface with the people that we were truly providing service for. And, um, you know, it became very, very challenging. And so that takes me back to my next question that uh, kind of came up in my head a few minutes ago as you were talking, Tina. So in terms of there being a push, and certainly I can understand the benefits of wanting to maintain the care of your loved one within their own home setting. We understand that from a quality of life perspective. We understand that from a whole multitude of different perspectives of why that would be preferable, why it would be advantageous, why it might even extend one's life, and hopefully that in concert with quality of life. Um but, you know, we also understand, too, that some people are in a position of requiring 24-7 care, you know, whether it be because they have MS and they're confined to a wheelchair or they have ALS and, you know, there's feeding tubes involved and there's lifts and there's Hoyer lifts and, um, you know, there's all kinds of different issues that people grapple with that do demand a certain level of expertise. And at the same time, as much as you want to honor the wishes and the preference of what's in your family member's best interest from a comfort level perspective and from a quality of life and a compassionate perspective, you know, we also don't want to burn out the family members who are kind of in that sandwich generation too, where they've got their own children, their careerists, you know, it's like, okay, who's going to give up their job, perhaps, particularly if a staff member who's supposed to come in and look after their mom or their dad or their partner, perhaps, has called in sick because it's become too stressful. I mean, what what support and what incentives are, are put in place to make that the best preferable model of care for a loved one residing at home? Well, Congress has come up with a family and medical insurance leave, which has been wonderful. I mean, it gives you 12 weeks of partial income to be able to take care of your loved ones in the home, whether it's pregnancy, whether it's serious health concerns. So that is definitely a, a turn in the right direction. And then, um, Congress has also implemented the RAISE Family Caregiver Act, which is going to maintain integrity for national sorry strategy to recognize and support family caregivers. And that's also going to help a lot. It's just, it's of course going to take time, but unfortunately our elderly population does not have time. Mm-hmm. 
Well, and some people, again, I play devil's advocate. A lot of people would say, okay, well, that's great. That's, you know, 12 weeks. Okay, maybe that's a bit of a, a, you know, a push in the right direction. Maybe, you know, that's indicative of people are having the discussion. People are recognizing and are aware of the problem at hand and how it's exponentially growing. But a lot of people would say 12 weeks, and it's not for, to be ungrateful, but 12 weeks, I mean, that's that's deplorable for people yeah. who who are going to be perhaps in their current position uh, physically, uh, you know, again, if they're confined to a wheelchair, I mean, they're not going to miraculously, unfortunately, start walking in 12 weeks. They're not going to all of a sudden be in a position in some cases to administer their own meds or to change their own diapers or, um, or to do any of the things that are required to maintain their, their, their care, their caregiving needs. So, you know, I'm sure there's been a lot of pushback too with the 12 weeks and how, how, how does 12 weeks become the magical number and how does that get justified when many people who are grappling with these healthcare issues, this is in some cases going to be their demise. They're going to succumb to whatever their current condition is. So 12 weeks, are we, is that more related to palliative care? Yes, and and the thing is, is that you're right. It's not enough because, like you said, when we have people in wheelchairs 24-7 who and their kids have to go out and work, I mean, there's not enough staff to come in and take care of these people. Um the biggest problem and solution that I came up with was to teach, mm-hmm. to educate the public, because we can't worry about government coming up with a plan. I mean, our infrastructure is bad. So many things are going on around the world that we have to take things into our own hands and take care of ourselves. Mm-hmm. And research and education, I mean, we have the Internet, and the Internet can teach you anything. I mean, that's one of the reasons why, you know, I'm, I did not want to make my book medical by any means because I'm not no longer a RN. But I want to teach people how to transfer from the wheelchair to the bed. Mm-hmm. I want to teach people how to change the sheets with their loved ones in it. You know, I want to do these things. And all this information I have compiled over the years, so anybody can pretty much find this information. I just compiled it into one big book. Mm-hmm. And so let's talk about your book. I mean, you've given us some insight there as to what it's premised on. What is the title? How can people find it? And let's talk about your website and the different services that you do, in fact, offer people. Well, um, the book started off called The Ultimate Caregiver. And when I had my company, it was pretty much a training manual for my employees to do, instead of me having to go into the field and teaching them what I do every single day, I put it in book form to teach new caregivers how to take care of, you know, the elderly and the patients that we had. Well, when I decided to kind of revamp things, I published it, and it's now called The Ultimate Compassionate Guide to Caregiver Caregiving, mm-hmm. a simple blueprint for dealing with today's healthcare crisis combined with years of wisdom and sound advice. Um, it is a book. It is 408 pages. Wow. 
<laughs> well, and and trust me, you can purchase it on Amazon.com. And the thing is, is it's 18 chapters and so many things that I've gotten out of it. Everybody's like, it's so overwhelming. It's such a big book. What if I don't want to buy just the book? Well, what I did was I kind of tore it apart and I put different chapters on the website so you can purchase just chapters. Mm -hmm. I mean, it goes into patient care, communication, hygiene, vital signs. I mean, it teaches you everything you need to know to take care of your loved ones in the home. Wow. Well, that was actually pretty ingenious for you to break it down like that so that people could just pick and grab what it is that they feel speaks to them at the time. Because, yeah, if you're a caregiver or you're in the middle of a family crisis as a result of health, you don't have time. I mean, yes, we understand the importance of being proactive and and educating yourself and becoming aware. But we also know that these people who would be the ones to have to seek out this information to begin with, they're exhausted. They're exhausted. They can par- they can barely get through their own day to meet their own needs, never mind be in a position of having to oversee the and the huge responsibility of being responsible for somebody else's health care. Fam- well, family or not. So I mean, good for you for breaking it down and making it more accessible and user friendly. Well the thing is is that uh how ha- um Caregiving happens at a moment's notice. Yes, it does. Minute, you look and mom and dad are doing great and mom's baking cookies and taking care of the grandchildren. And the next day, mom could have broken her hip and ended up in the hospital. And then everything breaks down. The glue of the family is down and you have not a clue what to do, where to do it and what to ask for. Mm-hmm. So that's what I want to help with. I want to make sure that I teach people what to do at a moment's notice. I even started coaching and consulting because of the experience that I do have. If you have a question, whether you're in California or you are in Miami, I can help anytime, anywhere. Amazing. And so, being intimately involved with this line of work and knowing the frailties and all the um, hypothetical things that can emerge and go awry, what is your action plan for your own caregiving? You know, similar to people who put wills and uh, all kinds of legal things in place for, uh, you know, planning for those things proactively, either their estate planning, you know, et cetera, et cetera, putting in, if I ever do, uh, wind up in a situation, you know, a DNR, do not resuscitate. Like, what is your action plan for your own health if you become, you know, God forbid, you become uh, voiceless, you know, you, you become no longer cognizant or aware of what's happening to your own body? What are, what are your wishes based on what you've seen and witnessed in the uh, caregiving profession? Well, it scares me to death. I bet it does. Um, the first thing I would say is get a living will. Write yep. down your exact things that you want done. If, if say, for example, for me, if I'm going to be a vegetable the rest of my life, I don't mm-hmm. want that, then I want a DNR in place, which is do not resuscitate. But mm-hmm. if I can be... <clears throat> resuscitated and and brought back to good health, 
then that's where the living will comes into and it gives specific instructions. Mm-hmm. Well, let's switch the argument for a second. So, yes, we can understand from a touchy-feely perspective uh, why it would be preferable for the person who requires caregiving to want to remain in their home environment, their own home environment, their familiar surroundings. But if you're a parent, do you really want to put that stress and that obligation on your children who are perhaps, you know, they're thriving in their own lives. They've got the priority as it should be for their own children. I mean, let's flip the argument a little bit and talk about some of the the dualities with this whole intervention, this whole approach and, and what to do. What, you know, how, how do you get your own needs taken care of and knowing that there is a chance that you can thrive back to good health again, knowing that your caregivers are your loved ones who have a relationship with you, but at the same time, you don't want to be that, that burden on them. Well, the thing is, is that when you're going into old age, number one, you have to have your major debts paid off. You have to have a savings account. I know that's extremely hard for some people, but if you cannot provide a savings account, then long-term care insurance comes into play, and that will have where you can hire the caregiver. You won't depend on your children. You can have someone come into the home. And if you absolutely cannot go to that point, then that's where assisted living does come into play. Um, Medicare, and there are different uh, agencies that do cover some things. Uh, the best thing for me to say is go to benefit.org, I mean, .gov, and you can search by state category, and it will help you find resources if you cannot prepare for the future. Okay. And what is uh what is your URL for your website? It is the ultimate caregiving expert.com. Okay. And so if the day comes for you Tina where you're in a position and you still have somewhat your faculties uh functioning and you had to make the decision putting the issue of monies aside, whether you had that savings account um, that could offset some of the burden for your family. Would you ultimately choose to have your family members look after you, or would you alleviate that situation altogether, make it something that they didn't have to be forced to have to decide and just say maybe proactively in your legal documentation, you know, just take my money and and have other people outside of the family looking after me? What would be your preference, your plan of action? Well, I'm going to tell you, right now, nursing homes, their employees are, like I said, overwhelmed, overworked. Mm -hmm. And it is hard to have happy employees take care of you in a facility. The best thing to do is being in a home environment. I mean, right now... Hospitals and nursing homes, I say, are almost, they're not going away, but things are changing. I mean, we're now having clinics and CVSs, and there's so many different things out there that are smaller um, that are coming home. I mean, when I took care of some of the clients in a home, you can do anything and everything that you could do in a hospital in the home. I mean, you could have ventilators brought in. You could have x-ray equipment brought in. 
So it is more convenient to be in the home than it is the facility. Okay. In my opinion. Okay. And let me ask you this because I'm not too sure. I'm not up to speed with this. So if you opted to uh, be in a nursing home, a senior center, et cetera, et cetera, or a hospital, you kind of have to play by everybody else's rules, right? Like would, would maybe yeah. some of the the allure of being looked after at home by your family members outside of the comfort uh, and the familiarity of already having a pre-established relationship with these people and trusting, entrusting them with your care, you can kind of have more leeway and flexibility for your plan of care at home versus the rules and stipulations, call it because of what's legislated or because of uh, liability issues and hospitals always looking out for not wanting to potentially get sued and sometimes decisions and and uh, protocols get put into place based on that first and foremost as their way of, of thinking and strategizing. So, you know, What's the difference? What are some of the, you know, if you could give us some tangible examples of if you opted to be in a hospital or a senior's home versus being looked after at home, what are some of the rights that people wouldn't necessarily know that you would be stripped of because of politics? Well, and like I told you before, Trump just rolled back a lot of regulations for nursing homes. So a lot of the abuse um, and different things that are going on in the nursing homes will only be given a slap on a wrist. So it, you have to go by the activities they want to do. If you don't want to do them, you pretty much have to go with the flow and you have to do what they want to do. There is no... Let's do everything you want to do because when you're in a facility, you can't give everybody their way. Mm-hmm. So basically what you're saying is individualized care is, you know, that's off the, the table. It's it's basically we got to do, we got to plan the menu, you know, taking into account allergies and, and uh uh, you know, individual things where you're not going to put people at further risk, dietary needs and stuff like that. But overall, it's like this is the menu, this is the activity. You either show up and participate, eat your food, or you go without. And that's kind of your choice. Is You know, that's a bit harsh, but is that kind of the reality? Yes, ma'am. Absolutely. I mean, right now the health care system is failing family caregivers. I mean, we spend more time doing paperwork than we do giving tender loving care. Yes. You know, I mean, right now, families are having to worry about their own wound care, their medication management, their own physical therapy. I mean, getting their medical equipment delivered. And when you go into the nursing home, the same thing. I mean, a lot of families are having to make sure that, they have diapers, they have pads and different things because the facilities cannot keep up with the demand. Mm-hmm. Well, let me ask you this. Based on all these restrictions, based on all the things that are, you know, from based on our conversation and what a lot of the general public would agree to and attest to, uh, a lot of these things are very counterintuitive. And, and, and a lot of people would question, you know, the humanity being taken out of uh, what it is we're supposed to be doing to protect our fragile, um, you know, and our vulnerable. And that's really, to me, that's the definition of leadership is how you treat 
the most vulnerable population of people. That tells you everything you need to know about a person, an agency, an institution, a law, everything. So, you know, based on all of that, Tina, um, what is it about this particular line of work that keeps you still feeling impassioned? Because a lot of people would be quite jaded. A lot of people would say, this is too big. This, these issues are too momentous for me. And it is detracting from what I signed up for, for wanting to be in this field to begin with in terms of client care, as opposed to being an administrator uh, and doing all the other things to keep, put out the fires um, and dealing with people who perhaps have all kinds of legitimate issues about how their loved one is being treated. Um, what is it that keeps you still in this? Wow, that is a valid point, Lisa. However, I feel that there's a much bigger problem. And what keeps me passionate is this is the way I feel. Mm -hmm. My parents, your parents, raised you, fed you, clothed you, and took care of you and made you the person that you are today. And you have a moral obligation to do the same thing for them. Mm-hmm. And that is what keeps me passionate. That's what keeps me going. That's what keeps me wanting to solve caregiving issues. Okay, well, let me break that down because some people would arguably challenge you on that um, and say, okay, well, we can understand that perspective as it might pertain to your own parents. But what takes you outside of having a vested interest uh, feeling personally connected and compelled to do so, to want to do that for ultimate strangers, no matter the relationship you end up forging with them during their most vulnerable times. Like what, what keeps you motivated to do that for, for other people? Good morals. Yeah. Absolutely good morals. I mean, we have, we are in a different age. I mean, we go back to our food is different. Society is different. You know, everybody has lost their morals, their way. And if someone like myself doesn't have the compassion to educate people and to keep them able to care for their loved ones, who will? Yeah, good question. Good question. And so, I mean, I understand from knowing you, knowing your bio, knowing your your testimonials, what it is that you choose to embark upon, what you're impassioned to do, what you feel compelled to do, this being a, a calling for you and all for the right reasons. And I certainly commend you on all of this because, you know, you're a rare breed, particularly as, you know, again, people don't want to sign up for this anymore. People are looking at the aged population, the millennials, and they're going, oh, okay, this isn't really attractive to me anymore. You know, I'm not going to get support. Um, this is going to burn me out. This is going to turn me off caregiving altogether. This is perhaps going to make me jaded. Um, so I, I just want to say, Tina, for what it is that you continually do to step up and rise for other people, to be that advocate, to educate people, to because you don't know what you don't know. So the fact that you still feel compelled to do this is, is quite amazing. Um, but what does living fearlessly mean to you? Again, I just finished saying that I believe you embody that, you depict that, you're living your life according to that. But what does it mean for you? Living the best life that you can live to teaching the best life for others. Mm-hmm. And now, so what, go ahead. And so what would you say to our listeners who perhaps are stuck and faced with this uh 
this position. They're, they're in the thick of it themselves and they're too burnt out to even make heads or tails of it. You know, everything you're saying resonates with them on a humanistic level, but they just don't have the energy to go on. They're feeling like they themselves are in crisis, either emotionally, psychologically, spiritually. Their health has taken a hit. Uh, so everything is kind of like happening at substandard level, but they're just kind of coasting through the day because it's on them ultimately to do that and to be the one who's going to ensure things get done. Um, you know, what do you say to these people who are listening to you and your story is really speaking to them and they just, they just don't know how to get beyond it. They just can't see the light at the end of the tunnel. Well, Lisa, I love that you brought up this question. And although I don't have all the answers, but I do know this. Out of all the years of experience I have, this is what has gotten me through life. Have a plan. Get organized. And most of all, have a sense of humor to be patient with yourself and your loved ones because humor and patience can go a long, long way. Absolutely. Now, with some of the changes or some of the things that are already implemented and in place for family members who are facing this as a family crisis or struggle, you know, outside of increased hours or, you know, 12 weeks or whatever it is that we're specifically talking about, um, is there, is there counseling involved? Like who keeps people invigorated? Who keeps people energetic? Who keeps, who, who's helping people in the crisis of this? The best organization that I can actually say is the National Council on Aging. If you go to ncoa.org, there are so many things out there to help you. If you go to my website, we have tons of resources that could help the most burnt out persons. And what would some of their strategies be? Somebody comes through the door, you know, you're doing an initial intake. It's the first conversation that you're having. There's obviously a lot of similarities between all clients who are in this situation, walking through the door, who are needing help. They're needing support. They're needing objectivity. You know, what? what's the plan of attack from a counselor standpoint? What would be some of the first things that they would suggest that a family member who's taking care of another family member do? So it's not to go further and deeper into either depression or fatigue or full-blown crisis. Well, right now, 66 million Americans currently provide family caregiving in the home. Mm -hmm. And this is through the National Alliance of Caregiving. First of all, we must ask ourselves, are we financially prepared? Am I capable of caring for my loved one by myself? Is the home ready? For caregiving. Will I be able to make sure that I take care of myself? If the answer is yes, then you're able to care for your loved ones in the home. But if the answer is no, you need to talk to your local social worker and visit some of the facilities to make sure that they have activities, good food, adequate staff, nice rooms, and medical support for you. Okay. And yes, those services exist. But we know that these people are burnt out and they're tired and perhaps they feel like they've gotten the rigmarole and the runaround from the whole, you know, industry to begin with, you know, all the red tape and stuff like that. So when a family is in this situation, do these social workers make the initial contact or is the onus on the person who's burnt out and struggling and in crisis to yet extend themselves and deplete their energies to say, I need help. I'm floundering here. 
Well, the thing is, is if, if your loved one was in a hospital, then the social worker and utilization review come into play. But if you're in the home and you've not been in a hospital or facility, then yes, you have to take it upon yourself to contact these agencies most definitely. Okay. And so at least for your geographical location, Tina, and knowing what you know about the industry and home care providing and seniors' homes, what is the average, uh, what is the average rate for a senior, if we're talking seniors specifically, to acquire residency, a room, whatever that looks like, uh, to, to be cared for by other people in an external facility? What, what, what is the financial toll of this? Well, unfortunately, if, if you have no finances, then we have to count on government agencies like Medicaid and Facilities right now are anywhere, it depends, it, from 3000 to $6,000 a month. Wow. And, yeah. And even if you can hire someone privately in, to go into the home, I mean, you have to make sure that they have a criminal background check. You have to make sure that they're educated. You have to ask questions. And if you go to my website, I have all of these things on there to get you through pretty much anything. Okay, fantastic. Well, you know, we're so grateful for the Tinas of the world because this is not a glamorous job. I mean, this is, I mean, you're, you're up close and personal. You're seeing, unfortunately, uh, the most, in some cases, the most inhumane aspects of what it means to be in a vocation where we're supposed to support people. We're supposed to make things easy for people. We're supposed to make things accessible to people, uh, particularly when they're in duress and they're in crisis. Um, so the fact that you're still doing what you're doing to empower other people, to educate other people, I, I'm blown away, Tina, because it's a high burnout. I mean, I don't know that I could go back to this field myself. Uh, I derive so much pleasure out of it, but there was, there was a, you know, there was a time frame for me, an expiry date. And so for people like you who are continuously committed and are staunch advocates and who are doing all kinds of things to be part of the solution, I just, I can't thank you enough on behalf of all these families and we're all going to wind up in this position at one point. But Tina, you know, these interviews always go far too quickly for my liking. We're just about to wrap up with a few minutes left here. So I'd like to give you the opportunity once again to let the listeners and eventually the podcast subscribers know where it is that they can connect with you, both through website, any upcoming courses you've got, any coaching you're doing, where they can find your book, and is there another book in the wings? It has been my pleasure talking with you, Lisa. And if your listeners would like to ask questions, continue the conversation with me, they can go to theultimatecaregivingexpert.com. And there they can get in touch with me. They can see all the material that I have on the site. I have books. I have printables, like I told you before. I did take the big book and I broke it down a little bit into certain chapters to where they can kind of pick and choose what they want. Um, if they need consulting services, they don't know what organizations or help that they have in their local community. I can help with that as well. 
Okay. And is this U.S. specific or would you be able to offer that type of information, you know, all across the planet? I can uh, do this all across the planet from California to Miami to the world. Okay. Fantastic. Well, Tina, I just want to say once again, it's been a real pleasure to have you here. This is a very important subject. It's one that directly, indirectly impacts all of us, either now, in the here and now, in the present, or down the road. Uh, it's inevitable. You know, we don't live forever. We know that. Uh, and, of course, we know that uh, oftentimes what it is that we succumb to, it's related to things that, you know, are disease-related. Um, and there's so many different philosophies and, and positions and arguments uh, on that subject alone. So I just want to say, you know, you're welcome to come back here anytime for anything that you're working on, uh, you know, because this information, unfortunately, is never going to go out of style. Uh, it's never, there's never going to not be a need for it. Um, and people are continuously hungry to find the tools, the skills, the people who have the expertise, people who know what it is they're actually talking about, people who are impassioned. They're not coming from a, a burnt out perspective. They're coming from a let's be part of the solution. Let's tackle this together. And, of course, we know people don't know what they don't know. So, Tina, I just want to say thank you on behalf of the listeners. I want to thank you for everything that you continually do. Um, we're going to, for the listening audience, I want to thank you once again uh, for your loyal listenership. It's always a treat and a pleasure and an honor to be here each week to impart the lessons and the messages uh between myself and my guest with you. I appreciate all the feedback, the testimonials, the people who are saying they want to appear as a guest on this show. Always welcome to hearing uh, from you, to dialoguing with you. Uh, I want to thank once again Honda, Halton Honda, for believing in the content, believing in me, living fiercely with Lisa McDonald. I want to thank the Contact Talk Radio Network, where this journey began for me almost three years ago. I want to thank C-Suite Radio Network, once again, following the live show, once the podcast has been calibrated the link gets uploaded to the host page living fearlessly with lisa mcdonald over on c-suite radio network as well uh look forward to doing this again next week i go live every friday 8 a.m pacific 10 central 11 eastern my job my passion my purpose here is to uplift you to fear less and to live more wishing everybody a fantastic safe phenomenal weekend love and gratitude to you all take care and all my best bye-bye You've been listening to Living Fearlessly with your host, Lisa McDonald. Visit her at lisamcdonaldauthor.com. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.